0: Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions.
1: Let's go to Texas and talk with Kent. He's looking at Citigroup.
2: Hey, Justin, I bought Citigroup uh, last year around $42. I'm just wondering, what do you think about that? Is just keeping it as a core holding, or would this be a good time to just put the profits and drop back
1: to one big giant bank?
0: And provides unbiased answers.
1: Citigroup. Historically, is very up and down performance. If you're going to own large a large bank, I think J.P. Morgan's the one to own. InvestTalk.
0: Over 31 million downloads and counting.
3: Where do you think that new money is going to come into Ethereum? Or do you think money is going to come out of Bitcoin?
0: Your participation makes it unique.
4: 888-99-SHARK This podcast is produced by... KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast.
1: Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, May 3rd, 2021 edition of Invest Talk. Appreciate you all tuning in this hour. I'm going to do my best to make it informative and instructive for you, just like I do each and every day. And as always, we are also going to operate with our mission statement, which is independent thinking and shared success. Meaning I'm not Kramer. I'm not here to pound buttons and whistles and, um, just spew, just champion certain companies. Okay. Uh, I'm, also here to bring you along in in my success, in our success. And I'm going to do that by providing unbiased guidance, whether that's talk about the market as a whole, specific sectors, asset classes, uh, explaining different processes, et cetera. These are all going to just be presented with the facts as I see them in front of me using the data that I have, as well as my 20 years of investment experience. Now, I'm Justin Klein, and of course, we encourage you to contact us with your finance and investment questions. And when you do that, you shape the show. And in fact, you can call right now. Interact with me live during our four to five Pacific Time live stream broadcast. Or you can leave a question on our Anytime Voice Bank, which as always is twenty four seven and same number, eight eighty eight ninety nine chart. So let's get right to our first caller question now. Hi guys, big fan of the show. I just wanted to get your opinion on Viacom. Ticker symbol is V-I-A-C. Thank you. Calm. This one got kind of swept up in the... What was it? Uh, Archegos? Yeah, Archegos. There we go. The The Credit Suisse issue. A lot of banks kind of got swept up, lost the, a lot of money in it, and you had a massive, massive reversal. And this is a great example of when... One particular fund, or maybe a group of uh, big money funds, kind of get go in there, and they bid up shares either through owning the underlying stock or through call options, which uh, this uh, this fund did did a little bit of both, I believe. And so, when it came undone, the stock just did a full round trip, basically back to where it was. In the fall of last year. And just shows you how irrational or, uh, yeah, irrational, I guess, uh, uh, the stocks can get. And this thing really went parabolic. In the bottom of the COVID crisis last year, it was at $11 and change. It went all the way up to $100 here before this kind of unwound at the end of last quarter. And now we're back at $39, which is... uh, Basically about where it was when COVID hit. A little bit little bit higher than that. Um, so the big question is how are their businesses doing? Are they improving to a better extent than they were pre COVID? So twenty twenty they made four dollars and twenty cents, four dollars and eighty four cents in twenty nineteen. Twenty twenty one expect to make next year, $4.19. So they're not even supposed to make back next year, get back to where they were pre-COVID. And this is a company that's in the media business, but a lot of media properties that in some ways are struggling. CBS is probably their biggest asset, and that is tied towards cable. And as we know, cord-cutting is continuing, But they also own things like Nickelodeon, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, VH1, CMT, and Paramount. So, fairly well diversified, big library of films, including Mission Impossible, Transformers, etc. So, certainly a lot of value there. The big question is, is it good enough value for you to get excited about it? Nice 2.4% dividend. But once again, pre-COVID, they were struggling uh, when it comes to revenue. December of 19 2018 pre-covid revenue down 6% earnings down 45% just really struggling in this environment and kind of all over the place so is it cheap i would say it's a, a fairly cheap i wouldn't say it's expensive by by most stretch most uh valuation metrics here um pe of 10ish okay so that's that's pretty solid. Enterprise value to revenue is only 1.7. Enterprise value to EBIT only 9.3. So it is relatively cheap. But you really have to look forward. Remember, the market's always looking forward. And you have to make a decision. Are these assets that they own, these properties, media properties, going to be relevant 5, 10 years from now? MTV's lost a lot of its shine. Is it going to re-emerge? Or is it going to continue to kind of dwindle? Things like that. So... This is really a play more less about the valuation and more on the future strength of those media properties. Um, So that being said, don't love it. So I would probably pass on it and find better opportunities in, I wouldn't say more surefire, but just more certain uh, industries. Now, to achieve financial freedom, you will need the right information and effective strategies. And that's why I am here to help you deal with this changing market environment. You saw the day. Growth struggle? Struggle value drastically outperformed. Commodities were up nicely across the board. Not just the precious metals, which had a very, very good day, but also uh, uranium had a very good day. You had copper uh, have a good day. You had uh, oil and natural gas. Those both had good days. And what was interesting was the dollar was weak, um, but the 10-year treasury yield, yields were down. And historically, we've talked about this, lower yields tend to be better for your growth side of the market, because of that discount rate, if those future cash flows, et cetera. But you had a struggle across the board. The NASDAQ was down, let's see, 67 points. Not a huge down day by any stretch of the imagination. But that's a solid two-thirds of 1%. And you had the S&P, that was up 11 points, up a quarter of a percent. And you had small caps, so let's look at the Russell. That was up 11 points also, but about a half a percent. Okay? And so it just shows you the dichotomy there, where the tech side of the market, the NASDAQ, really, really struggled. And you had names like Google, down 10 bucks. Amazon, down 80 bucks. Apple was up about a buck slightly, but you're just seeing a lot of these names that had really good earnings, really great earnings, struggle a lot of the tech names, okay? So that was the market today, continued rotation, out of growth, into value. Now we're heading into the very brief break. So Dave from Cleveland, hang on, you'll be next. And my phone lines are open now at eight 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 ninety nine chart We're already
0: moving through the second quarter, and serious investors need to bring their best game. Invest talk is here to help. 888-99-CHART.
1: Let's go talk with Dave. He's in Cleveland. He's looking at Abbott Laboratories. Do you own it, Dave, or looking to buy it?
2: Looking to buy it.
1: Okay. And why are you looking to buy uh...
2: it? I was looking for like a long-term hold. Okay, um, it has a yield of one and a half percent, and it's a little bit of a pullback. Just get your thoughts, and thanks for taking my call.
1: Yeah, no problem, Dave. Now Abbott Laboratories is a fantastic company, so you can't uh, you can't really knock. That it's a it's on the medical device side, which I really like. I like the the medical device side a lot more than the pharma. I think there's less regulatory issues potentially. Now they do develop some generic pharma's ph- pharmaceuticals, uh, but they have a lot of diagnostic systems and and, and various. Uh, they're more diverse. Let's just say that than a lot of the the big pharma. So um, that's that's one part, and. They consistently grow their earnings. 2014, they only made $2 a share. This year, this was like $5.04. So in seven years, they've increased their earnings 150%. That is a nice, solid, consistent grower. Last quarter, earnings up 35%. Revenues, uh, sorry, earnings up 103%. Revenues up 35%. And like you said, nice 1.5% dividend. My issue is that it is a bit stretched here. And I think uh, technically it's starting to weaken. Okay, So I think you're going to get probably a reversion to the mean. And I think this could trend back down somewhere around $100 a share. So maybe you get to 105, which is closer to our valuation, about one, 105, 100, somewhere in there. I think that's fair value. And so to me, it's modestly overvalued. It's at 120 ish right now. So it's about 20% overvalued. So I would be patient on it. Keep it on your watch list. You get down to that hundred level, I would be a lot more excited about it. Thanks for the call, Dave. Let's go to Sean in Minnesota. He wants to talk about debt.
3: Hey, Justin, how's it going? Thanks for taking sure. my call.
1: Good. No problem. Hey,
3: um, so um, I uh, recently moved to California. I'm 35 years old. Um, and I was uh, looking at different ways to kind of decrease my debt. And I'm um, sick of this like monthly car payment. I invested back in April of last year, so I made a pretty good run in the market, first time investing, but now I have this chunk of cash in my portfolio, and I was wondering if it would make sense if I cut that portfolio in half and paid off my car payment um, and then started using the monthly payment to start reinvesting back into the market, or should I just keep... Um, kind of the the stocks and everything where it's at, and just let it grow over time.
1: Well, the first question is, what is the interest rate on your car loan?
3: Uh, interest rate, I believe, is
1: 2.3. 2.3? Yeah. Okay. Well, typically when you're looking to pay down debt or pay off debt, you want to focus on the highest interest debt that you might have. Would you say that is the highest interest that you have?
3: Uh yeah, I recently paid off all of my credit cards, so okay. the
1: only um thing that I
3: really have that's like a continuous thing accruing any interest uh is my
1: student loans and my uh car payment. Your car payment. Okay. So you're you're starting off good well there with focusing on the highest interest debt. And then the question is would it make sense to basically guarantee yourself that interest rate by putting the money that you have in your investment account to pay down that loan? Um, now, that's just the mathematical part of it, right? The quantitative part of decision-making process. And But it sounds like for you, this is more of a peace of mind thing, a qualitative uh, assessment of what it would do for you and make you feel better, feel happier. Uh, would you say that's true?
3: Um, here in California, and everything's a lot more expensive, and it would be nice not to have to pay a card note every month. I there would you say go. That for well,
1: sure. I, then I think I think you have your answer. If that is making right. you uncomfortable, if you don't feel like maybe you can get by or save enough by having to pay this car payment and you have the money to pay it off, I would do it. And, and, and you know, longer term, you'd say, okay, well, you're earn better, more money in the market, but money is there to make your life better. And if your peace of mind is improved by doing something, that also is a factor in what you, uh, what you should do with your money. And just like we say, for most people, they should pay off their mortgage by the time they retire, because that's more of a peace of mind thing. You have a place to live no matter what. And so to me, this is a peace of mind issue more than anything. And I would do it if I were you. Uh, This is also a good time to maybe lower or rebalance your portfolio. I'm sure you've done well over the past year or so. You probably have some positions that have grown to oversized levels in your portfolio. And historically, when that happens, it's a good time to start trimming, rebalancing your position. So start to, start to maybe trim back some of the ones that are overweight and start harvesting some of those gains from there. It doesn't mean you sell the whole position, but do those type of things to raise the cash to pay off that, that loan. So I think you can uh, make this twofold, pay off the loan, peace of mind, and then also making your portfolio improve by rebalancing it to a more reasonable level. Thanks for the call, Sean.
0: For investors, the goal of achieving financial freedom requires unbiased information, strategic planning, and determination. Congratulations. You found the podcast that is dedicated to helping you succeed. InvestTalk.
1: Let's go talk with Mark in Ohio. He's looking at CarMax. Do you own it, Mark, or are you looking to buy it? Um,
3: yes, I own it. I picked it up around $90 a share, mm-hmm. um, and I was calling to get your guys' evaluation. I was wanting to get back into it, but I wasn't, I'm not 100% sure um, of the evaluation or where's another good buying point or what's your guys' um, outlook on CarMax.
1: Well, technically, it remains strong. Continued to make higher highs and higher lows after the explosive move. Really, to start the year, we started 2021 at about ninety-five dollars ish, somewhere in that range. Now we're at 137 ish at the close today. Our value is, though, probably closer to that hundred, hundred and five level. And but but technically, it's strong, it's once again making higher highs and higher lows. So, I can't really argue with it in that sense. And we're in this time where used car prices are very strong, which means that as long as they can go and buy enough inventory that is at reasonable prices, they have high demand for their products. A lot of money going to the hands of people, and they're looking to go spend it in various ways, and so. Historically, this is a very strong business. Return on equity has hovered between 15 and 20 percent for a couple decades now, and it's a well-run business. It's it's probably one of the most well-run businesses, and continues to grow its footprint and its its uh, heft within the used car market. For everyone else out there, if you don't know what they do, they own 220 used car retail stores. And they actually have one new vehicle store, which is pretty interesting. But they they sell a lot of a lot of uh, vehicles. Four hundred twenty six thousand used vehicles last year. And let's see, it has about three and a half percent of the entire used car market share between zero and ten years old. So it doesn't sound like a lot, but remember the used car market is pretty big. So uh, technically, it's fine. Fundamentally, it's in kind of the sweet spot currently because of the backdrop of the economy. Um, I think back half of the year, maybe starts getting to get into some trouble as all the stimulus wears off. Uh, but I would be looking for technical indicators to see the weakness. Um, so right now, if I'm holding it, it would be a hold. It wouldn't be a buy because I, I worry a bit about the back half. But I would be having a, a stop of a, the 100-day moving average right now. That's around 119. It's going to continue to go up as it stays above that. Uh and I would use that as your out Mark. Thanks for the call. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go to Texas and talk with Kent. He's looking at Citigroup.
2: Hey Justin, I bought Citigroup uh last year around forty two dollars. And I was wondering, um, it's made a big move. It's still priced really well though. The price of tangible book was point nine four today and an earnings yield of around ten and and I'm thinking, you know, looking at it as a core, a whole JP Morgan Chase also, and I'm, I'm just wondering, what do you think about that? Of just keeping it as a core holding, or would this be a good time to just book the profits and drop back to one big giant bank?
1: I would say I would cut it back, and and uh, actually I would get rid of it and keep the one J P Morgan. If you're going to own large a large bank, I think J P Morgan the one to own. Citigroup historically has very up and down performance. Uh, they their their lending practices uh, are not as rock-solid as J.P. Morgan, but because of their size, they still have kind of the regulatory issues around them uh, that limits their potential uh, profitability. And all of that profit here that you're seeing here in 2021 is because of all of the reserves they had in 2020 for defaults, and that came back on, and these are just accounting uh, accounting for how banks, banks operate. So if I'm going to invest in banks, I would much rather be allocated towards the smaller regional banks that have a lot more flexibility, uh, operate on a smaller scale, but in a more profitable way. And Citigroup, once again, historically has up and down performance. So I would use this opportunity to get rid of it and reallocate if you want to keep your same allocation in the banking sector to a smaller player, uh, in the space. Thanks for the call, Now, my focus point today concerns the story Verizon exits the media business. After paying over $10 billion to acquire some of its high-profile pro- properties, Verizon will sell its media group to private equity firm Apollo Global Management for about $5 billion, still going to retain about a 10% stake in the business. But there's been increasingly increasing evidence that Verizon's been wanting to sell some of its media uh, properties and focus more on its core business, which is wireless networks uh, and internet providing. And so this is a good example of what happens when large corporations who have a lot of cash flow, a lot of liquidity with their stock, uh, they want to get bigger. And historically, when they go outside of their core business that got them there, they don't do so well. Now, they will justify it usually with, oh, we're diversifying our revenue stream, our profits, etc. and they're going to try to squeeze out some synergies, and, and they, they try to do that here, right, where they lumped Verizon uh, phone service with subscriptions to these media properties that uh, they purchased, and it didn't really work so well. And... They combined in 2018 uh, these properties, AOL and Yahoo, into what's called the Oath-branded companies, and that was by the CEO of AOL, and it didn't really work, and so now it's going to be rebranded back to Yahoo. Pretty interesting, but just goes to show you that, oh, I guess we're going to a break. Give me a call, 888-99-CHART.
0: This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial, where principals and Invest Talk hosts Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are independent financial advisors. For clients, they are fiduciaries. Steve and Justin have a duty and a commitment to always place the interests of their clients ahead of the firm. This is different from the way many other organizations operate. And one way you can realize the benefit of an association with KPP Financial is to know that KPP practices parallel investing. This means that the personal investment accounts of KPP principals participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. It's an important difference. You can learn more anytime at investtalk.com. At
1: KPP Financial, we offer independent thinking, Stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H A C K E R O N E dot com. HackerOne.com.
0: You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights. From the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888 99 Chart.
1: Now, before the break, I was discussing the fact that Verizon is selling off Yahoo and AOL to Apollo in a, in a about a $5 billion valuation, and that's about half of what they paid for it. And this is, once again, a good example of how large businesses make poor allocation decisions when it comes to acquisitions. And, well, it's not going to sink Verizon by any stretch of the imagination, but that's what dividends are typically very good for. Now, Verizon always paid a dividend, and this hasn't precluded them from making a bad investment or a bad acquisition like this but dividends keep typically keep management from spending too much and saying hey i got to hold back on my, on my bids for other companies and other 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 assets in order to make sure that we can continue to pay our dividend and this once again isn't going to sink verizon's ability to pay their dividend but I guarantee it's something that they thought about. So maybe if Verizon didn't pay a dividend, maybe they would have paid 12 $15, 20000000000 for these type of names and took a much bigger hit. And so uh, another good lesson that if you step out of your comfort zone, out of your core business to make acquisitions, oftentimes it backfires. Now let's head up to Cupertino and talk with Richard. He's looking at WRK, which is West Rock corporation do you own it or looking or to buy it uh i own it
3: uh it's in my uh retirement account so i don't have to pay capital gains i only got a couple hundred shares but it doesn't look like it's making any money right now doesn't pay much of a dividend and i'm trying to scratch my head as to why i want to keep holding it when i can take some money and run and uh so, but unfortunately, my uh, investment house has it as a buy rating, and I'm
1: mystified. Mm-hmm. Well, first, I wouldn't listen to your investment house. There's typically conflicts of interest there and problems. So, I, I would advise to do your own research and make your own decision. But, West Rock, it did scrap its dividend back during uh, COVID, it looks like. And this is a company that is doing well in this environment. They make, basically, packaging for uh, you know, c- cartons and paperboard. Uh, it's one of the largest producers, actually the second largest producer of container board. So in an environment where people are shipping things all over the world in boxes, WestRock is doing fairly well. Now, the issue, in my mind, is that they don't really have a competitive moat. Do you really care where your box comes from? Probably not. Now, their free cash flow has been very strong. I like that. But it doesn't look like they're allocating the capital very well. If you look at their return on assets, it's been fluctuating between 2 and, and 6%, even to the negative territory over the past uh, couple of years, uh, last five years, a, a few times. So I would be looking to trim this because I don't think it's a great valuation here at 20 times earnings. But it's also technically perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. And in an environment, once again, where people continue to ship uh, things, whether that's online or through other channels, because people are buying things left and right because of the money they have in their pocket, and that's requiring boxes. So I would hold it but I would have an out on the 50-day moving average. Right now, it's at 57.37, the to close today. The 50-day is at 51.54. Once it's going to continue to rise. I would use that as my out. So I would hold, but have a tight stop on it. Now, we're happy to take good. your live calls, but I want to make sure we continue to play the pre-recorded questions that came in overnight. So let's get back to the Invest Talk make now at and eight ninety-nine chart
2: Hi, Justin. I heard a podcast said that Ethereum is going
3: to overtake Bitcoin in your opinion this year, 2021. So I think Bitcoin has tripled the market cap at the moment. Those Ethereum, where do you think that new money is going to come into Ethereum to triple the market cap to overtake Bitcoin? Or do you think money is going to come out
1: of Bitcoin and go into Ethereum? I'll listen on the next podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm just going to correct what he said. I actually said by the end of next year is what I was expecting is that the market cap of Ethereum is going to pass Bitcoin. Now, that could happen quick. The crypto market is crazy and you, you never know. Uh, I just see more potential use cases for Ethereum building as opposed to Bitcoin is fairly static. It's supposed to be the store value, etc., uh, but I think there also is potential for government crackdown uh, because of the energy usage. You know, using the green uh, narrative to shut down or limit uh, the these cryptocurrencies, uh, but also the. Potential nefarious nature of uh, illegal activity being used or, or happening using these particular um, currencies. And so there are multiple factors that I see governments potentially shutting down or limiting the ability, not, sh- not necessarily shutting down because they can't do that, but limiting the ability uh, or the legality of transacting. And I think that's going to come. I-, I don't think that governments are going to just sit idly by. That being said, if Outside of those risks, I just see more traction in Ethereum. Uh, and back then, the market cap of Ethereum was 300 billion, and Bitcoin was about 100 billion. Now it's one uh, one billion seventy three million. For oh, excuse. I keep saying billion. It's trillion. One trillion trillion73 billion on Bitcoin, and Ethereum's almost 400 billion. So you're already starting to see a bit of that convergence there, where uh, Ethereum's up about 100 billion since I said that, and Bitcoin's only up about 73 billion. So you're st- starting to see that outperformance, and that's what I'm seeing on the charts. And I just see that um, in in this part of the market. Uh, once again, that doesn't mean that they have to go up. You could see major declines in both of them, uh, but one more than the other. So that's a possibility as well. So don't think that this is some guarantee, but it's more of like a pairs trade, going long Ethereum, short Bitcoin, that would be how you would express this view in the marketplace, okay, because once again, both could go down, but hopefully that clarified that, and I appreciate the call, so let's grab another Qu- voice bank call, this time from New Jersey on eight 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 ninety nine chart Hello, Steve and
3: Justin, this is Mark calling from New Jersey, I'm hoping to hear your thoughts on Sprouts Farmers Market as a stock pickup. I read on certain websites like Motley Fool and other places that it's uh, good undervalue right now. So I'd like to get your opinion. Thank you so much for all that you do. Take care.
1: All right. We agree. We like Sprouts as well. We've owned it for some time for clients. And technically, it's strong. It's had a little bit of pullback here over the past month near the 50-day moving average near support and had a very nice day-to-day up uh, uh, almost 4%. And 3.6 percent, to be exact. And for everyone else out there, they operate 362 stores in 23 states, offering natural and organic foods. And and to us, this is not only a cyclical type of play where economy is good, people are spending. Uh, more in stores, but also secular, where people are focused more on natural and organic foods. And so last quarter, revenues up 17%, earnings up 119%. And there were some nice, huge tailwinds to their business last year because of the shutdowns. Earned $2.27. That was up from $1.25 in 2019. This year, you know, moderate a bit, but still... Going to be $1.87 expectations for uh, earnings by analysts. So, roughly a 40% increase from 2019 earnings. And next, next year, so it's supposed to make $2.03. So, they're a growing business. They're still relatively undervalued if you look at their multiples. Enterprise value to EBITDA, only five. Enterprise value to revenue, 0. 0.5. So it's still very, very cheap, and a super clean balance sheet. I love that super clean balance sheet. So uh, we love the business. It's, uh, it's, it's secular and cyclical, and it's very, very profitable from a cash flow perspective, uh, from uh, a return on equity perspective. Trailing 12 months, 39% return on equity. And over the past decade, it's averaged in the uh, around the high teens, so that's very strong. And they're buying back shares. We love, love that. 2015, they had 156 million shares outstanding. Now they only have 118. So not only are they are expanding their stores, but they're buying back shares. Great combination, great business. Now, 2021 is well underway, and we're already into the month of May, and the summer is fast approaching. And in this market that we see a lot of changes, and I'm sure you do too, if you're holding too many uh, tech stocks and growth stocks and uh, that used to be exciting, not as exciting anymore. They're kind of languishing, but the exciting names are more in the hard, hard assets, uh, industrials, financials. That area is where we're seeing a lot of traction. So I think it's worth taking a, a minute to make you aware some benefits of working with myself and Steve. Not only do we focus on those areas, we're very value investment focused, but we also practice parallel investing, which means we invest right alongside our clients. So I encourage you to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone, Skype, or go to meetings. You can send us a message through investtalk.com or call our KPP Financial Offices in Irvine, California at 800 557 5461. We can talk. We'd love to help, no obligation, just see how we can improve your situation. Next up, we'll play another Voice Bank question in one minute, just hang on.
0: There is good news for loyal InvestTalk listeners, their friends and families. Steve and Justin have recorded a special bonus podcast. Been listening for a
5: while and have got some great advice.
0: This free podcast is available for download anytime, typically each day and night. The Invest Talk call center receives more voicemail questions than Steve and Justin can fit into a live show format. Hi guys, big fan of the show. So in the bonus program, caller questions will be played back from our voice bank and answered with brief, unbiased and helpful responses. I
1: think for like the next 10 years, commodities are going to be doing very well. It's in the money. You probably just want to sell it.
0: It's a fast-paced learning podcast for the average investor.
1: Absolutely love your show.
0: It's free, so be sure to tell your friends. It can be downloaded now at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and InvestTalk.com. Look for Rapid Fire Hour.
5: Hey, Stephen and Justin. This is Chris from Atlanta, Georgia. I want to say, first off, thank you for your show. We appreciate all the knowledge you give us. I have a small savings account for each of my three children. I have a six-year-old and two two two-year-olds. And I thought about putting a small investment account for them to kind of help that money grow. So it's just going to grow for 12, 18 plus years. Doing this for them, would you just buy indexes? Would you primarily look for growth since they're so young and have such a long horizon? Or would you continue with maybe value dividend investing for them? Just kind of wanting to know way to organize it. This is something I want to do for them instead of just having a couple thousand dollars in a savings account, not really growing for them. I'd rather give them this and give them an opportunity to learn and see how money can grow. Appreciate y'all's help. Listen for the answer. Thank you.
1: Well, I definitely think over the next decade plus, you're going to get a much better outperformance on the value side of the market. We've had growth outperforming dramatically over the past call it 14 years, since 2007. And now we've seen that shift. And so if you're going to use uh, some sort of funds, that's the way I would be leaning. Now, as they get older, I would also start to maybe sprinkle in individual stocks in relation to the things that they like. I think that will be a good way for you to engage with them, for you to explain how equity investing works, and the fact that they can own a product, they can use a product that they that they love, and they can also own a piece of the company that makes that product or service, okay? And there's some connection there to really help them grasp how these things work um, and maybe follow along with it. And so that's what, what I would do. Uh, over the long term, look for those opportunities as you see them grow and evolve and, and once again, use different products and services and bring them in, to, in front of the computer and say, look, you can own, you can make more money by by investing in the business that uh, makes this great product or service. So I hope that helped, and thanks for the call. Now let's see if we can fit in another caller question here. Let's go to Sid from Canada. He's looking at Microsoft. Hey.
2: Justin good evening thank you for taking the call i've uh, sure. been long time listener to your show thank you for all the great work that you guys are doing this is mm-hmm. regarding the microsoft i'm holding a, a good positions but i still see that this is one of the great stock for a long long term and i need your <clears throat> inputs in terms of is it still a good buying point or we should wait for some pullback
1: Appreciate your yeah, comment. I would feedback. wait for so a, a pullback here. This is one of those names that had great earnings. And a lot of these tech names had great earnings, fantastic blowout earnings. And they're down, down on the earnings report. That is not the best sign in the world. Let's just say that. Revenues are up nineteen percent last quarter, earnings up thirty-nine percent, and Technically, it's now rolled over. Now, it hasn't broken any major support. The major support would be about 235. Now we're at 251 and change. Uh, but the valuation to me is not super stretched. I wouldn't say it's drastically overvalued. Maybe a bit. Um, but I would be more patient with Microsoft and the whole space. See how this kind of evolves. See how this turn evolves. And uh, historically, when you see these great earnings reports with poor market reaction, that's not a good sign. So I would be I would wait on Microsoft. Now this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here: each and every day is helped you achieve your own particular version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at eight 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 ninety nine chart. This is
0: Invest Talk. For serious investors, it's all about achieving financial freedom. That's why the unbiased guidance offered by Steve and Justin is so valuable. The Invest Talk Anytime listener lines are open now, and Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call 888 99 Chart.
3: Hello, gentlemen. I'm calling to ask you about ticker symbol V A L E. I looked it up online and it then- seems like a good infrastructure play and a good commodities play just want to know if it passes your approval and is that a good price right now to buy thank you very much have a good evening
1: all right vale is the world's largest iron ore miner and they are based out of brazil uh, but a lot of their raw material comes from australia um sorry that comes from brazil excuse me uh And they ship mostly to China, okay? And they are very leveraged to the Chinese economy and infrastructure building. And that's, I think, the issue here is I don't think that China is going to be building as much as they, in the next 10 years, as the much they have in the past 10 to 20 years, to build out their manufacturing base, etc. Um, part of that is trade war, part of that is uh, policy to refocus their economy internally, uh, etc. And they have higher costs than companies like Rio Tinto and BHP, which are uh, in Australia. And that's why I don't love this. Uh, 85% of their forecasted EBITDA is coming from iron ore pellets. So uh, that goes into building steel. And they do have some smaller exposure to nickel, which I like. Uh, but the fact that it's such a small percentage of their overall business makes it a very difficult it's very difficult to convince me to like it because of the nickel, even though they have uh, substantial nickel exposure, but it's just a small percentage compared to their iron ore. Uh, so overall I like it. I just don't love it in this space. Um, I rather own some of the other names in the space. I, I but I like that you're looking at commodities, raw materials. Um, technically it's fine. Although today it was down three cents, even though commodity did well. So I would be a, a pause and wait on Vale, um, but I like that you're looking in this space. Thanks for the call. Now, let's quickly follow up with earnings figures, earnings figures, and we are uh, mostly about halfway through the earnings season, and as of Friday, results from 87% results, sorry, 87% of those that have reported, beat expectations. That's above the historical average of 65%. And that's not even the most impressive stat. The most impressive stat is that going back to 1994, companies that beat earnings by an average of 3.6% from earnings expectations. This earnings season, season, earnings are 22.8% above expectations on average. And that just shows you A lot of people have been wondering, why is the market so strong? Well, there you have it. The market is looking forward. The market is always looking forward, always pricing in those expectations and the potential for beating those expectations. So the big question is, is the good news already priced in? And like I said with Microsoft, even Apple, Amazon, a lot of these big names – fell or are down over the past few days since their earnings reports. And that's a problem. But corporate earnings have historically been one of the biggest drivers of stock gains. And GDP growth is also a big driver of earnings. So if GDP is doing well, that typically translates into profits for corporations. And a big part of the calculation for GDP is, part of it is the uh, the spending on from government. The calculation for GDP is consumption plus investment plus government spending plus net exports. Obviously, net exports is always a drag. But when you have government spending so dramatically, you're going to get naturally... GDP growth, which is going to feed into earnings growth. And that's what you're seeing. But there you go. That's why the market has been so strong. The big question is, how can companies build on the current earnings report? They're always looking forward. And that's a big question mark that we'll have to answer. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. You can get your free downloads anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And as always, investtalk.com. You can also browse by podcast topic, too. You can learn more about 401ks, cryptocurrency, treasury yields, real estate investing, growth stocks, etc. Just read the episode titles until you find a topic of interest. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk.
4: Good night.